0: Just west of the Ward Place Gate on the San Diego campus of Seton Hall University. He is the prodigal son of Marlboro Township, Mike Dizzy Dizzeri, class of 2001. I am persona non grata at the Maplewood Municipal Pool, Tommy Chilkoharsky class of 1997. We are the number one Seton Hall Pirate Podcast in San Diego. We are Left Coast Pirates. I would normally ask Mike how he's doing tonight, but quite frankly, I don't care. I'm angry, I'm disgusted, and I'm disappointed. And what disappoints me most is wasted opportunities. It's why last year was so disappointed to me. We are not a program that can afford to waste opportunities. Because just like that, they're gone. This year's team was a mystery at the beginning. Everyone claimed that it was a rebuilding year, and yet somehow they put together a pretty impressive out-of-conference record in one of the more challenging out-of-conference schedules we've had in recent memory. The bar was raised, expectations had been reset, and we have wasted it. We wasted an eye-opening wooden classic victory. We have wasted as thrilling a game as I can remember against Kentucky. We wasted a true road victory against Maryland. Hell! We wasted an opening night victory against St. John's. We were three and one. Everybody was ecstatic. Everyone except for me. Everybody was saying, you're just a Debbie Downer. But I warned people about at Providence, and nobody listened. I warned them about a repeat performance against Paul, and people laughed. And now the bottom's dropped out. We're 3-5. Fourth straight tournament appearance is a pipe dream. This team will be lucky to pull out an 8-10 and 10 record at this point. We'll be lucky to be considered for a first-round NIT loss at this point, Michael. Are you hearing me, Michael? Are you done yet? Are you no, your soul I'm just beginning. Can, can, can we move forward? We should be 5-3 and three. I- Not three and five michael we could be six and two if everything fell right and we have wasted it
1: Agreed with you when we ended the last podcast that we did not expect to win this game and that if we had lost by 30 coming in coming out of this result i would be angry again in a back-to-back setting we lost by 30 nova comes out and basically just blows the doors off of us in the second half nova takes the final tally 80 to 52 over the hall The last win since we recorded a W goes all the way back now to 1994. Yes, the streak is up to 17 straight games, and I am going to eat some crow because I said to you, I thought that of all the teams in the Big East, since the new Big East has been formed, that Seton Hall plays this team tough, and and maybe they have, but but in different settings, Uh, maybe in the Big East tournament, maybe at home, but now over the last six losses in Philadelphia – They have lost by an average margin of defeat of 21 points. I I get it. You're frustrated. I think we're all frustrated. I feel like the, the wheels are coming off the bus at this point.
0: It's not a frustration of today, Mike, even though today was awful. It's a culmination of everything. It's been building, and it's just not going away. I mean, look how this game played out. I, I think
1: there are certain numbers in this game that were just frustrating that I, I we should have expected, but once you kind of see them on paper, you scratch your head. Nova took 72% of their shots from three, 72% of their total shots on the floor, 42 out of 58, and they shot better than 40% making 17 of them. You're not going to beat a team when they play that way. Good good for Jay Wright for making an adjustment to how his team needs to play with this current roster. They, they don't have an inside presence, and he's playing to their strengths, and we were not prepared for that. On top of that, we came out with another 18 turnovers, 14 in the first half, 10 in the first 10 minutes, and they were mostly – unforced Uh, they were like disgusting sloppy turnovers on top of that our our guy goes into the tank our best player you know they show that your head-to-head matchup booth versus powell powell has another bad game and once again another career best seven three-pointers for booth and pascal has 17 and eight they had no shot to win this game that's what we said from the the end of the last podcast and it kind of played itself to fruition but I i get it go ahead let it out
0: let it out. You know, I, I hate to be a broken record, but as we've we seen in this season, Mike, this team goes as Miles Powell goes. And you've mentioned it. He had a stinker of a game. But this is becoming the trend. So
1: once again, we highlighted it. i will remind you how bad it's actually been because we've been kind of giving him a pass. So in the Marquette game, it was 8 of 19, 3 of 9 for 3 with 5 turnovers. You know, he he scores 21 that day, so it kind of gets masked a little bit. Providence, four of 15, one of six from three, four turnovers. And today, he was non existent. He was one of five from the field, 0 of three from, from distance, and seven turnovers. They lost all those games. They, they had a shot in the more kick game, but the reality was they did not have a realistic shot down the stretch in Providence. And his performance today was not going to get it done against a top 25 team
0: on the road. It just wasn't. And again, I'm going to say what I've said in the past three or four podcasts. When was the last time you saw Miles Powell come out of a play and get an open look? Nova's two bigs were certainly getting good looks today. And that wasn't a surprise. You knew who was going to shoot the ball. Willard knew who was going to shoot the ball. And he still got open looks. Marcus Howard gets open looks all the time. Where is the offense? Willard had one job this summer. It was to figure out, how am I going to get shots for Powell? That's one job.
1: I think he's been trying to get him open shots. He's
0: coming off double double screens. He's getting the ball out high. I mean, what else do you want him to do? He's getting the ball up out high. He's getting the ball on the wings, and he's still in positions where he has to make big-time moves to get his shots open. What do I want to see? I want to see wide-open shots like the guys from Nova were making today. They were moving the ball. They were coming off of screens. They were coming into wide-open shots. That's all he's going to do. Give me a shot.
1: I don't think Miles is getting the support from the other players on the floor to take the attention away from the opponent's game plan, to give them that breathing room, to make them second guess their game plan. Hence, they're blanketing him off the picks. They're double teaming him when he has the ball. I, I don't think he stands a chance.
0: Miles Kale went four for six tonight from three. He's got the backup here and there. You know, he, we don't have that guy that's going to come in every game and be that number two guy. But we've done it by committee. It seems like with the exception of a few games, we've had it. One game, it was Q with 25. Miles kills tonight. I believe Miles' last game was pretty decent too. I don't want to hear it. You need to have that ball movement. I agree. Miles
1: did have a good game today. I'm, I'm very encouraged by what he brought to the table. He had, Once again, he hit multiple shots from from three point range. I think that now brings us back two or three games where he's had that kind of confidence level. So absolutely, if there was one bright spot from this game, I'm gonna put a star next to Miles Kale. But it's not about just what Kale did today, because it's it's not this Batman and Robin type thing that we're looking for, where one person's gonna step up and be that supporting cast for Powell. We're having situations where maybe one guy steps up and the rest of the team disappears. What did Mama do today? Have, have one one basket? An opening dunk in the in the first match? I mean it was, fantastic dunk from the top of the key two dribbles right hand i I was impressed only basket for the game nz doesn't score in the first half mcknight has five the the team doesn't have balanced scoring and then we were getting production from the bench and the bench has been non-existent all of a sudden again as well this is not just do i have a second scorer we are back to what the heck is going on on offense
0: mike let me ask you a question in all honesty and i'm not being facetious here who's our best player miles powell do you realize he didn't get his first shot until 10 19 left in the half how does that happen how does that happen that's not on him that's not on the team that's on the coach. And a lot of this stuff that Miles is coming through, these tough games, these bad shots, these turnovers, are I believe are coming through his frustration of having to work so hard for every little thing.
1: And I think it has a direct correlation as to why our turnover count has gone up. I think Miles is putting the ball on the deck, trying to create stuff that's not there because he's frustrated. You said it. He's frustrated. He feels like he needs to be the man. This team is going through scoring droughts. He's trying to take that responsibility on his shoulders, and it leads to a lot of turnovers turnovers. And I also think we're starting to see some of the success that McKnight had previously start to kind of uh, regress a little bit because he was being told by Kevin, I need you to be a little more aggressive. Think about scoring first. And the first possession of the game I think highlighted that. Your point guard, after he breaks down the defense on the very first possession, should not be getting a charge. You shouldn't. McKnight is not thinking like a true point guard right now, and, and the two of them are a turnover machine waiting to happen in the backcourt. It's just it's it's not good. The, the numbers don't bear out what we should be doing with the type of small margin for error that this team
0: has it's been crazy since the biggies play has started how bad we've been taking care of the ball especially considering how well we did in the of conference holding on to it. It's appalling.
1: I thought that that was one thing that was a, besides the grit and the hard-nosed defense, it seemed like this team was playing a lot of fundamental basketball, specifically around ball security. I mean, there were some games where we didn't have a lot of assist totals, and I think we kind of worked our way through that, but the turnover number was always respectable. I believe we were averaging about 11 per game prior to the DePaul matchup, and over the last five, it's not been good. 16 against DePaul, 17 at Marquette, the dreaded 22 that cost us the game of Providence, We got back to a little bit of basics with 11 against the Paul, but the defense didn't show up. And 18 again today. It's not a number that you can win with. And it's becoming a commonplace right now, the sloppy turnovers and this being the norm. And and that's that's very
0: eye-opening and alarming. And to your point about Q, you know, he is one of those dreaded combo guards that we've been trying to fit into a starting point guard position over the last few years. The problem here is the only true point guard we've got on this team is is somehow behind Shavar on the rotation. And again, this isn't a... I feel bad because we keep banging on Shavar. It's not his fault. But what is going on here? I figured you'd be a little harder on Shavar, but... The night's early.
1: I can't beat up on the kid. He gets his number called, and you go in when the coach tells you when to go in. But he's being asked to go in and play point guard.
0: He's not a point guard. We've gone over this. We keep hearing these rumors about Willard not having a lot of confidence with Anthony on the defensive end, even though I haven't seen any of that in game time.
1: No, he is. I mean, I don't get to see what he's seeing in practice, and Willard has always been this kind of coach that says, if you don't give it to me in practice, I'm not giving you the minutes in the game. Rumor is, not only is he lacking some of that foot speed during game time, but he's, he's not giving that effort uh, behind the scenes. It's there. He's right. He's, he's a step slow. He's a freshman. He's adjusting to the speed of a play at the Division One level, but we are lacking so much on the offensive side right now. that I think there needs to be a little bit of give and take. This is not the atrocity that Torian Thompson brings to the floor of no defense and horrendous shot selection. When Nelson has been on the floor for the the limited minutes he's had, he's had almost a 2-1 to assist to turnover ratio. He seems to be smooth with the ball, and he's he's playing within the the confines of the offense.
0: Why can't we give him more minutes? Somehow he went from being trusted to close out the Kentucky game to not getting any minutes here until garbage time. It doesn't make sense.
1: My issues here with this this point, and, and I really need to hammer at home are a couple things one not to pick on shavar again he should never be on the floor as your point guard never so that's not on shavar again that's on the coach
0: and it's and you could see it he came in he spelled q in the first half the first time he brought the ball up the court we're sitting there counting it down okay we're down to 20 seconds okay, we're down to 15 sections and so on and so on. And then it's down to five and kale has got to throw up a crazy shot at the end of it that might as well be counted as a turnover as opposed to a missed shot. Next time down the court, he front rims a shot, boom. He's out. He's on the bench again.
1: Like I said, this this is not about Shavar. This is about the coach kind of looking at what his resources are and deciding that that's the best option in that situation. That's what I take issue with. What I also take issue with is we started the season going down the missed opportunities of recruiting at the point guard position over and over and over again by not having a true point at that position and then we were pleasantly surprised that we had Nelson. We even said we're good to go for the next three and a half years. I don't even worry about the position I have the utmost confidence in this duo leading us forward Now I'm worried that Nelson is sitting on the bench watching a former walk-on who doesn't play point guard take his minutes and and what's the first thing that you're thinking of? Transfer. I I said the same thing So I I don't have a point guard next year I I have Q. I still have a guy transitioning from a combo guard, but I don't have a point they cannot lose this kid if you don't play in today's game guys transfer it's I got the way you, that it, it is
0: players know players know who can play and I if I'm Anthony Nelson sitting on the bench I got big problems being behind this rotation my
1: bigger issue is Willard got called out for it in the post game and his response was yeah I, I guess I gotta go back and, and relook at this Anthony Nelson situation <laughs> come on that wasn't even coach speak that was like hey buddy yeah I have an issue with point guard again don't you realize it
0: what's going on uh, maybe i'll take a look at that it's a complete situation made of his own creation yes go and relook at it and look at the kid the kid can ball Get him in there. You're probably
1: frustrated because we got our we got our butts kicked and run out of the building. I, I get it. Most fans are probably embarrassed because Seton Hall National Watch Day across the country, national Fox broadcast once again, and we just got embarrassed. That's not my takeaway from this game. I, I never want to get run out of the building the way we did. It, it is embarrassing. I am just so frustrated right now about analyzing our coach and how he conducted his Q&A in this post game. I'd like to kind of go through some of the things that he said and and kind of get your take on it because I'm bewildered. I I'm scratching my head saying are we are we doing this again? Willard was asked directly, is there a leader in this locker room? And his response was, we will see tomorrow.
0: And your response to that is? It's the same thing that Willard does every time there's something going wrong with this team. Unfortunately, he had a week off, so the schedule wasn't something he could complain about. What does he do? He deflects. This is perfect Willard responses. But he's
1: the coach. He is the head coach. At what point does he take accountability for the fact that there might not be a leader in that locker room? He's in the locker room too. It doesn't have to be an 18 to 22 year old. Why can't it be the guy that we're paying $1.7 million a year to do his job? That's his job to be their leader. I'm not okay with that answer.
0: Because he's not going to take take accountability because then he's got to take some fault for the last six seven games of playing awful basketball.
1: And and he should. Now, you want to blame the schedule? You want to blame, you know, guys kind of working their way through situations? Fine. But you said it. They had a full week off. He had all the time in the world to prepare. One of the biggest advantages on the schedule is this so-called bye week, where other teams kind of have to play two games in the week, and you get one week to prepare for just one opponent. I'm not saying because of that they had to win. I'm saying they should have been more prepared to be competitive. And because they had that week to prepare, and because they got the doors blown off. That's why I'm upset. And that answer is not good enough.
0: We were sitting there watching Villanova pass that ball around and the Pirates were running around like chickens without their heads. It looked like a varsity team playing a freshman team. They had no idea where to go, what to do. They were toying with them. I gave you the
1: numbers from the Xavier game. I told you that they took more shots from three in the Xavier game than they did from the field. And they were waiting for the ball to go inside. They, They were like bewildered that they put up that many threes i I was shocked they took as many as they took but that was the way that they were going to play that game they were going to play that game outside in and they looked like they had no clue that that was coming i'm not okay with that i'm not okay like you said they're too bad as players got whatever they wanted, there was a point in the game which I think we were down 15, and of the 52 points scored, Pascal and Booth had 37 of the 52.
0: Make somebody else beat you. They do that to Powell all game long. That was a pretty pathetic quote by Willard, but I'll do you one better, Mike. I'll raise you. Go ahead. When asked about taking out all of all the five guys off the court at the one time, he said, "I didn't bench those guys. We need to play Wednesday and Saturday, <laughs> Mike." I hope that these poor kids that played on an early Sunday afternoon can recover enough for a Wednesday evening game.
1: Oh, geez. Doesn't the entire country have to basically do that? The the standard schedule in college basketball is you play two games a week, right? My my son has to play two T-ball games in a week and he can recover. I mean, come on. If I'm not mistaken, the Ivy League plays on Friday and Sunday. We should see horrendous basketball every Sunday in the Ivy League. Ah, It's just the the answers are are frustrating me at this point. And my issue with that quote is deja vu again. After the 2016 game against Creighton, when he did the same thing and benched the entire team, his response was, and I quote, they weren't benched. Sound familiar? We had come off a tough game at Villanova on Wednesday night where guys had logged a lot of minutes. We got down, I think 19. And sometimes the guys just don't have it. Simple as that. Did, did he take out his playbook for bad quotes in a postgame press conference and just go to the well and, and, and repeat that game over again?
0: It's obvious that he did this in some sort of disciplinary method. I just say that. Exactly. just say, look, exactly. I'm sending a
1: message. I was sending a message then.
0: I didn't like the effort. I didn't like the execution. I didn't like whatever. I didn't like the color of your socks, but I'm putting you on the bench. And
1: then I could sit here, and I think half of the media people that cover this team could sit there and say, okay, we, we can accept that answer. You don't have to call out anybody in particular and say, well, well, Miles didn't bring it, or Sandro had a bad game. Just say, collectively, we didn't show up tonight. That's on the players. That's on me. We're going to get back to practice tomorrow and we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again. That is on all of us. And I'm the head coach, and it starts with me. I, I can live with that answer. I We haven't gotten that answer once in nine years. That's my issue.
0: With all the issues we have with Willard, I'll, I'll tell you my biggest problem with him right now. Willard doesn't coach well from behind, and I don't mean from a games perspective. I mean from a seasonal look. When things start rolling south, Michael, he does not, or should I say cannot, make the right adjustments like all big-time coaches do. He just doubles down, or he gets... He gets Gets nervous and he'll try something crazy like starting Brody one game and it just keeps snowballing and snowballing till it bottoms out.
1: I don't disagree with you and I think his counterpart took a shot at him in the post game. Everybody loves Jay Wright and he says the right things but Jay goes Miles has a lot of pressure on him like Eric and Phil do. I know they can carry us but I don't want to wear them out. It was kind of like, hey Kevin, I think we all have that problem. Everyone's going out and targeting our best guys. Everybody's game planning to stop our guys from putting up 25 for a night. And I make sure that my guys are prepared so I don't have to grind him for 37 minutes to do that. Uh, maybe you should do that with Miles. You think that was his subtle way of saying, you got to figure that one out?
0: Maybe Jay's tired of Willard whining about the schedule and other things like we all are here. I mean, it's getting old. He needs to come up with some better liners here.
1: I think everyone loves Jay Wright. You win two national titles, you can do nothing wrong. I have one issue with Jay Wright from this game. They were up by 30. There's eight minutes to go. And he does this repeatedly. He's got his starters in, just bombing away from three still, drilling, drilling the hammer into us. And I'm I'm complaining about this this fact to one of my buddies after the game. And he goes to me, he goes, there's a reason why this guy can afford his fancy suits. He never gets beat by a backdoor cover. I should have hammered the nine and a half. He understands how to step on your throat when he has you down and make sure that you cannot get back up. I, I don't think he needs to do it when we're down 30, but they have a killer instinct. I've the got best- no
0: problem with this. I, You know what? Good. Good for Jay Wright. Make sure your guy doesn't get back up. I don't care. Let him okay. do it. Th- then I want my coach to model this to an
1: extent. You know, everybody wants to basically say, oh, why can't we be Villanova? We're a similar size private Catholic school, you know, four or 5,000 undergraduates you know, similar kind of structure. We don't have football. We should have the ability to kind of follow the progression of Villanova and get more on the national stage. I'm not saying we progress to win a national title anytime soon, but that was the hope is you kind of take the baby steps that Wright did. I'm starting to worry that our coach does not have in him what Jay Wright brings to the table. What is the ceiling for Kevin Willard now that we've seen nine years of him?
0: I'll ask you this, Mike. What has he improved upon as a coach? In these nine years, what have you seen him improve himself with? You got me at a loss of words here. I I
1: (laughs) didn't expect that question and i don't have an answer well the, I, I, thought I think that's the point i, you I you thought know, at he... times he's been a very good defensive coach we've talked about this very good x's and o's defensively i don't think he's motivational i think if you back him into a corner he comes up with some of these quotes that are yeah they make you kind of queasy i, I want to see my guy be tough in a foxhole. And maybe he is behind the scenes,
0: but I don't see it on face value. Not from the fan base perspective. I don't see him as someone who recognizes his own shortcomings and does something about it. I don't see him as a top-notch recruiter even though we lucked out three four years ago with a really good recruiting class and that and he never built upon it so you're asking me what is ceiling i think we saw it during the big east tournament when we are we are regressing in our love for willard in about a two-week window i think
1: he is he has parts of what he does are, are outstanding as a coach but I don't think that they collectively come together in the head coaching qualities that you need to be an elite program. He's, he's not a bad head coach. He's a good head coach, above average to good, depending on the, the day of the week that we're talking about him. But we're we're asking to be that top 25 team consistently. We're asking to advance deep in the tournament. you you got to make adjustments on the fly to win games like that. I'm with you. I don't think he has that pedigree in him to do so, not
0: after what I've seen for nine years. Simply no. comparing him to the coaches in the biggie. Obviously, he's far behind Jay Wright. Okay. I don't think he stacks up with McDermott. I agree. I don't think he stacks up with Cooley. That's an interesting one because – That, that's the
1: comparison that gets made over and over again. And we've had, we've had pretty good success head to head versus Providence, but I like Cooley better than him personally. And and they've been to five straight now, right? They've been to five straight now. Right. I'm going to ask you this. Has Cooley done more with less talent in the big East than anybody else? Name the, name the more key guys he's had over that five-year run. He's had yeah Chris Dunn. Fine. Absolutely. Who else? Ben Bentel?
0: Getting names into Providence, that's a hard task. And well, to be successful it, with the guys that you have.
1: Oh, apparently, it's impossible to do the same at Seton Hall. So, so what's he doing?
0: What's he doing? Coaching.
1: And that's why I have him ranked ahead of Willard. I mean, he's he's sustaining success with the same fundamental and logistical challenges that everybody complains about at Seton Hall. He's, at, he's got the same issues, yet he finds a way to continue to win, and he gets teams to play up to a level that they probably are not expected to play up to. I, Rodney Bullock is a good college ball player, but when he's the best guy on your team, you shouldn't be making it to too, too many NCAA tournaments. And no. they are,
0: and they did. And, and then what do you have left? You've got exactly where our team is, stuck toward the middle. To- to the bottom of the rest of the conference.
1: I, I wanna I I don't know where we're going next. I, I, I really don't. But before before we kind of wrap up and talk about where, where the next steps are for this team, we, we, we wanted to introduce a couple of fun segments going forward. I, I think now is a good opportunity to do that. Uh, I know we were a little frustrated at the last podcast and you didn't have the, the 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 fortitude to have some fun with it, but we wanted to introduce a segment called the Whoa, Did You See That moment for the week. I, I was easily gonna go with the Brody dunk against Providence last week, but you were so angry. I was I was pretty bitter myself. We just didn't have the stomach to talk about. About anything fun or positive, but let, let's do it this week. What was your, whoa, did you see that moment for the, for the week? Or the, I'm for the not game quite
0: least? sure that I saw it though, Mike, because we were a little late to the game, but when we saw the the highlight of Sandro throwing that dunk down, when he when they were slow mowing it up there, I could have sworn someone was going to come in and block it, but that was a sweet dunk.
1: I hope we don't go off on a tangent here. Absolutely has to be the moment for me. Sandro gets the ball at the top of the circle. As I mentioned earlier, two dribbles to his right, he's a lefty, mind you, goes up full extension Larry Nance style. With his right hand and flushes it down. So for the first minute of the ball game, you can kind of pound in your chest a little bit. That's the kind of potential that people see in Sandro, and it's just it's not coming to fruition as consistently as we want to see it. But that's why people get excited about his his ability. That was the whoa! Did you see that moment for me in today's game? There was Another- a couple of, whoa! Did you see that? I don't want to see that again moments. There was the time that Powell just decided to pass the ball the half court to nobody, and then golevski picks it up and hits a three to put us down 19 and. That was essentially your game, but I'm going to go with Mamo this week.
0: Uh, Another fun segment of ours is Willard in the huddle, trying to pick up some kind of uh – Coaching points, if you will, Mike. What did you hear out of the huddle this week?
1: Well, well, well this segment normally makes me cringe, and, and and last week we talked about it as a side point, not as a fun segment. But Willard was talking about being solid in the huddle against you know, against Providence and not giving them free looks. Today, I wanted to pull my hair out. It's it's the first media timeout or second media timeout, and Willard's in there going, "Hey guys, no more offensive rebounds. Use your elbows." And I'm sitting there going, "Is he is he doing a a, a boxing out tutorial right here on the on the sideline?" He he flat out does. Doesn't practice it. He said. He said, "I don't want to get guys hurt in practice, so we don't play, we don't practice boxing out." But now he's going over the fundamentals during the huddle. Mind you, at that point in the game, we were out rebounding them seven to two. Maybe we needed to talk about cutting down on the turnovers at that moment.
0: And finally, <laughs> our fan favorite segment stupid stuff the announcer said we actually are not coming up with anything this week mike Raff was on the mic Raff is fabulous and even if it sounds like it might have come out wrong he may have been a couple beverages into it and we're giving him the pass
1: I'm always gonna give Raph a pass, and I actually went back and listened to the entire first half back at home after we got back from the bar just to see if I caught anything slight, you know, slightly off, off kilter by Raph, and he does a great job. But I did cast Justin Kutcher, the play-by-play guy, early in the second half. I bear with me on this one. So Nova hits their third straight three to open the second half, and they build up a 15-point lead. And Kutcher goes, "Uh-oh, timeout needed here for Kevin Willard." And I'm sitting there going, "Hey, Kevin, listen, he's onto something." <laughs> The,
0: the play-by-play guy is calling for timeouts now. This is uh. why we might have to start live podcasting during games.
1: And I and I said I was going to be the more rational person on today's podcast. Apparently, that that digressed really fast. I, I, all right, let, let's let let's bring this to a wrap. I don't know where we go next. Miles Kale says there's going to be a players-only meeting tomorrow. I'm sorry, but this is the fourth straight year this has now occurred.
0: What's your take on that? I don't get it anymore. I don't see Willard as having this hold on these guys, and it, it just doesn't seem like guys buy in. Well, see that I might interpret that a little differently. So I don't assume
1: that there is a rift between the coaches and the players. I think at some point there are a couple of leaders on the team that are acknowledging that something's off. And they're like, look, th- this is not about the coach. This is about us. We need to look in the mirror, have like a heart to heart amongst us as players, as a family and say, Hey, here's what's got to get done. So I'll ask you this. Could there be, is there, is there infighting? does the players only meeting have to kind of collectively look everybody in the eye and say, we need to do this. Or are they looking to call, somebody out in this players meeting and that's where i was going with what's your take
0: i don't know what they're going to talk about or do you just say hey we need to stop playing like crap i don't know right, so let's say it works
1: I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Powell's been in these team meetings for the last couple of years, so maybe he can. You know, so is Enzi. Enzi's been there for for four years now, so he's seen every one of these. Maybe they can pull from those experiences and bring their leadership to this player-only meeting and you know, get get things where they need to be. That that brings me to my next point. The previous three years, the leadership or or excuse me, the talent on those teams were able to kind of turn these January swoons into some late-season success. We talked about it: nine and two four and one they were able to kind of turn those seasons around and and go on to bigger and better things can this team do that?
0: No, there's ten games left in the regular season. They are three and five. They are trending. Even if they play slightly better, you're looking at an eight and ten season. That's what you're looking I, at right now.
1: I'm I'm not gonna go through the schedule game by game and play the win-loss analysis. I'm saying right now in the Big East, outside of Villanova and Marquette, teams three through ten are separated, all of them separated by a half a game. There are three teams at three and four, and the remaining teams are at three and five. I've never seen that in all my my years of following college basketball within a conference but it's it's there for the i'm not saying they're going to they're going to play that collective group for the remainder of the season until they get to marquette and nova at home the last two games of the year if they found a way to figure it out they're not playing against elite competition over the next eight games
0: mike we weren't playing against elite competition before this one of those three and five teams is de paul should i tell you who Two of those three wins came against. People were saying, "Oh, DePaul's playing better." DePaul—that's that's subjective. They weren't playing well, and they happened to beat us twice. Providence, who people want to tell us is garbage too, and you keep telling me, "Have you watched them play? They don't look good." Yeah, they still beat us. So and then three- and then
1: they beat and then they beat the Paul today too. I, I I know I know I I'm, I'm trying to hold out hope. I'm I'm trying to find that sliver of optimism amongst this four-game losing streak. This five out of six. I'm saying if the light bulb goes off, the competition that they're playing against is not elite competition. I, that's not going to help. Them build a strong resume but maybe they can rattle off five or six wins out of the next eight i don't i don't know
0: Here, here's what i'll tell you can they bounce back no but 8-10 might take third in this conference this year. That's going to give you a one-way ticket to the NIT, unfortunately. If we're lucky. I don't even see that happening, Mike. I don't see us playing that well. 5-5 five and five at this point would be a tremendous improvement over what we've seen in the past eight games.
1: How about we start one game at a time? Let, let's not go through the whole schedule, but how about just next week in a microcosm? Providence at home must win?
0: The last five games have been must wins, Mike. They're uh, all I, I must wins. I don't mean for
1: just like on the stat sheet. I mean for cycle psych- Logically, I, I think if they were to lose this next game, pr- pretend like the the plank, we were talking about a roller coaster, roller coasters go up and down. So, you win one, you lose one. You win a couple, you lose a couple. We are right now, let's take the analogy. We're no longer a roller coaster. We are in a plane and we are in a complete nosedive. I think if they lose the next game on Wednesday night to Providence at home, I think the media is going to be all over them. I think the players only meeting is going to fall apart. I'm afraid that they will not be able to pull the plane out of the nosedive for the remainder of the season. I'm afraid that you could possibly see a repeat of the Isaiah Whitehead freshman year. And there is so much potential for the year beyond, but you got to keep it together. You got to build a foundation before they get to next season, I don't want to see it completely go off the rails. That's my concern about this Providence game.
0: So you see Wednesday, we're at the Rock, we're playing Providence, we just got our butts handed to us. Do I think they win? Yeah, I, I, I think they win in a close game, but I'm not going to put too much meaning into that. Is that going to okay. take them off the snide? I don't think so. Then we go to at Butler on Saturday.
1: Which, which has been a place that's surprisingly in tough spots. We've won the last couple of years. Not marking it down as a guaranteed win, but Butler doesn't throw the ball in the ocean too well, right? I mean that they should not be getting blown out of the building by Butler. Butler's now lost a couple games at home, if I'm
0: not mistaken. They should be able to hang in that game as well. But what I've seen in the first eight games of this conference schedule, I could see them losing. I could see them winning. Nothing will surprise me at this point, Mike. So you're telling me if we come back here next Sunday at five and five,
1: you're still going to have this cloud of gray hanging over the whole situation?
0: I already told you, Mike. The season's over. We're We're not making a fourth NCAA tournament. We make the NITs. We're going to do our normal bow out after the first game. Maybe someone will whack someone in the crotch again, a la Herb Pope. Season's over. We went 0-4 in the part of the season where we said, this is the toughest part of this season. This is going to make or break these guys. And it broke us. I'm not even disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that, yes, as bleak as it looks,
1: historically this team or the program has found a way to turn a corner. And I think the fan base, including myself, would like to see what happens next week to see if there is a glimmer of hope that that could happen because the NCAA bubble is a very soft bubble at this point. You're talking about mid-major uh, conferences only sending one team. The a is a mess. The Pac-12 is a mess. I mean, right now, the Big East is a two-bid league. There, the, the last couple spots, that 10 and 11 seed line, is just a complete cluster of garbage out there right now. So if anybody gets hot in the, in the right conference... Those spots in the tournament are there for the taking. I'm not putting us in that category yet, but getting a couple wins under our belt and just getting some positive momentum that could kind of re-energize this group. There's nothing that says that they're going to do that after the last four games, but I think we're just going to have to wait and see.
0: From the moment we started talking about what it'll take to get into the NCAA tournament, I told you 10 and eight, and we are not getting the 10 and eight. I I, thought we were going to be 13 and five, but Hey. (laughs) You know, I've been looking through our Twitter feed and John Fanta... You know, former WSOU announcer said that nine and nine Seton Hall gets in. He might have been on an airplane. Maybe he had some altitude issues going on. There is no way we make the tournament at nine and nine.
1: I think you could make that argument uh, depending on how the nine and nine is constituted. So if you get down to the last two games at home, uh, if they hypothetically won both of those as part of the nine and nine, I think that's an automatic. I think if they win uh, one of those two, depending on what they do in the Big East tournament, nine and nine could work. I, I need to see the... The full, body, the full body of the resume before I start breaking down what is no good, what's not. I also need to see what that resume looks like relative to who else is on the bubble. And I'm like, we're not going to do that right now. That, that That is so far from the conversation of reality for this team. If we get to that point going into the first week of March, fine, I will gladly sit there and go back and forth whether we deserve to get in over a program from the Big 12. But, but right now, you're right. Right now, that should not be a reality of the conversation. It should be, how do we get a win? It starts at Providence. Maybe you put two together and then follow it up against Butler, and, and we'll talk about it again next week. I'm hoping for a positive conversation. I don't know how much my blood pressure can take with the anger and angst that we've had for the last two.
0: Wasted opportunities, Mike. Wasted opportunities. If you've enjoyed this podcast, <laughs> check out our other archived podcasts, including interviews with John Yablonsky, Mike McEnany, and shuhoops.com founder Chris McManus. or Mike Dizzy Dessere, this 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 is Tommy Chokoharski, and this has been Left Coast Pirates.